Welcome to the Building Wealth Through Commercial Real Estate Podcast, where we will discuss with industry experts on how to create wealth and build passive income from apartment buildings, self-storage, mobile home parks, and much more. Here is your host, Jonathan Way. Welcome to the Building Wealth Through Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Way, and I'm the founder of Grayson Capital Group, my investment firm. If you're interested in passively investing with us, please visit graystonecapgroup.com and join our investor network. Okay, and now on to the show. Hey, Drew, welcome to the show. Hey, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. Great. Today, I have a wonderful special guest uh, named Drew Walgreen, um, and his background is that he was uh, working eight years as a risk analyst at Liberty Mutual Insurance. Mr. Walgreen made a decision to leave the corporate world and jump into commercial real estate. After receiving a bachelor's in finance from California State University at Hayward, Mr. Walgreen began his entrepreneurial journey at age 21 and uh, decided to chase his dreams to becoming an uh, entrepreneur and um, you know, doing, doing a successful career. Uh, today, Drew enjoys educating investors on the world of alternative investments and specifically the differences in net lease industrial real estate from other commercial real estate classes like multifamily, self-storage, or mobile home parks. So that's a very uh, unique niche. I, I love to learn more, and I think we'll also learn more about your, your specific niche and your sector and why you, you know, how you began your journey and, and where you're at now and, and how you, you began this, 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 this journey. Uh, sure, sure. I'll, I'll try to um, go back a little bit. You mentioned a little bit of my bio there, starting um, entrepreneurial side at age 21. Um, I used to have a little beverage and snack distribution company um, that I ran and um, even actually took a, a few years away from college to do that because I thought, wow, this is a, this is an opportunity to not only grow my own business, but learn and just, and always a kind of a formative time in my life, you know? And, and then you mentioned, I also went to Liberty Mutual at, at some point later on. And I was, um, you know, this is right after kind of the crash of the economy in, in 2008 or so. Um, so really was looking for something secure. Uh, essentially, most of my customers, when I had my own business, when they went under, right, I would come to get, do my normal orders or deliveries, and there's plywood all over the windows. So <laughs> I was kind of seeking some kind of security blanket, but always had that that itch. You know, once you've worked for yourself, you kind of, you know, you get caught up in this corporate bureaucracy, and you're like, oh, you roll your eyes at a lot of dumb meetings and things like that. So um, yeah, during that time, I, I had a house that I um, had bought really at the bottom of the market, though, and, and I put a ton of my own work into. And when I sold it, um, I made a, a nice chunk, you know, and this is in the Bay Area where I still live today. And, you know, you've seen that the kinds of appreciation we see here are, are pretty ridiculous, right? So I made a, a fair amount of profit on that house. And that was a kind of decision time for me. And I, I went passive. And it helped that I had a, have a brother who was working for a firm kind of co-sponsoring deals or raising capital. And so we always used to talk about it over beers. And all of a sudden I had a bunch of extra cash. And I thought, you know what, this makes way more sense. Um, I can hit cash flow. I can hit profit. I can get all these things that are actually even difficult to hit in California. You know, people don't invest for cash flow here. Um, but even if I wanted to go out of state, I wasn't seeing a lot of numbers that were really exceeding what I could achieve passively. And I could still get the, all the tax benefits. I could still see the profits on the back end. So I, you know, honestly, I think it's, I'm still a fan. I still invest passively with sponsors because uh, really it's, it's hard to beat. Um, it's if you value your time too. And, and at the time I was being shown a lot of opportunity at that corporate gig, 
But over time, I eventually found myself with Liberty Mutual looking around going, hey, you know what? I'm I'm not seeing a lot of opportunities for advancement here because I've kind of jumped up to this level where now people are sort of waiting for, you know, re- people to retire or something like that, right? <laughs> you got to reach that uh, very, you know, middle management area and you go, oh, okay, this, this is where people kind of hang out for, you know, decades of their life and their career. So I didn't want any part of that. I was like, there's, you know, life's too short to be hanging out in the comfort zone for the next 10, 20 years. So, um, so yeah, I, I sort of jumped ship out of there and my brother had left his firm that he was with. We for, formed our own capital raising firm at first. And we said, Hey, we know good sponsors and we have a good network here. We can absolutely help sponsors bring equity to these great deals that are out there. And, you know, really I had already invested with Mag Capital Partners as an LP. And so at this point, you know, we partnered with Mag Capital Partners on a deal and we just thought, you know what, this is a fit. This is like a match made in heaven. Let's let's just, you know, we put away a little of our pride and, you know, we stopped having, we shut down our own little company. And, you know, this is all within six months or so, joined Mag Capital Partners and, you know, fell underneath the umbrella of, of our this firm. And so it's been really great. You know, we we brought that skill set to be able to expand what used to be a bottleneck at one point. Um, you know, bringing equity into deals and we've expanded our investor base and, you know, we work on the acquisition side too, but just a great, great fit. And, um, you know, I've always been a fan of the strategy that we've had here. Again, I threw my own personal cash into these things. So um, that's kind of how I found myself here. And so uh, we came on board uh, about two years ago. So it's been a good ride. Good, great, great. So that's excellent. I love the story of how you became a past investor and then you and your brother, um, created this sort of equity raising platform for sponsors. And you said, hey, maybe I go with Mag, uh, Mag, uh, Mag Capital because well, okay, we can complement this because help them raise capital for the deals and expand and to get to be, be build a bigger team, basically. Yeah, I don't want to be a mercenary capital raiser, honestly. You know, just just a sort of gun for hire for, you know, bringing money to deals. Um, uh, you know, because you, find, you would find yourself in a spot where you absolutely could find yourself in a spot where you're going, hey, you know, uh, maybe I'm not really agreeing with this uh, co-sponsors, you know, what they, how they handle their business, or maybe you don't even agree with the the asset. You go, well, you know, I don't really want to do this deal. And, and you don't have to, to be fair, but why not partner up with a group, um, you know, that you, you really like that has integrity that you feel like, Hey, you know, these are people that I want to, you know, build a machine together with and just, and, you know, the sky's the limit when you have that kind of team, you know, it's like a, five plus five equals a hundred, you know, that's what it feels like. You have that, I hate the word synergy, but that's kind of it. Right. So we feed off each other and we really kind of um, have our, our sites high to grow this, um, uh, this firm and, and, you know, find larger deals, better deals. And the more we can loosen up those bottlenecks, really the more deals that you can see and say, you know what, we can do that. We can take down this deal. You know, it's $50 million. We never could do that before. Now we can, right? We have the tools here and the team to be able to do that. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. I love that. I love that. So let me tell you, what does your uh, firm look for? What kind of asset class? What kind of niche? What kind of markets and locations? Yeah, we're really focused on single tenant industrial real estate with long-term triple net leases. And I'm sure a lot of your audience knows this, but for anyone who doesn't, a triple net lease means that tenant takes the responsibility of property taxes, uh, maintenance, utilities, um, insurance. And even for us with the leases that we craft, 
uh, really had the responsibility of roof and structure and large capital expenditure items, you know, paving a parking lot, all that falls on the, uh, the responsibility of the tenant. So we don't see those expenses um, hit our net, you know, our gross revenues, right? So our gross revenue really equals our net operating income. There's no expenses that we have to manage and that can eat away at cash flow. So that's a, a big part of what we do, um, single tenant with triple net leases, but 80% or so of those acquisitions we're making are through a sale leaseback transaction. So it's something we really like. We are purchasing a property from a commercial business who owns and operates out of this industrial real estate. And they're simultaneously selling the real estate. And at the same time, we're leasing it back to them for usually a 15 or 20 year triple net lease. So it's a really beautiful transaction. There's a lot of negotiation on both the acquisition and the rent and lease side. Um, but both of those, you know, we could be flexible, right? There's no lease in place. We can find a sweet spot that offers us yield, offers the proceeds that the seller wants. And now we're set into a, you know, zero expense, long-term lease with 100% occupancy. So what that translates for us and our investors is super consistent cash flow, right? You go, hey, I don't have expenses. I don't have you know, tenants that are falling out and signing new tenants. Um, you know, I don't have to worry about four years from now when their lease rate, their lease is up. I might have, you know, a couple months, two, three months, maybe of vacancy until I get another tenant in. You know, what happens then, right? You have uh, TIs, you have to entice a new tenant in there and pay for some improvements. So all of that gets removed. You don't have any of that. You sit here and it's like a cash flowing machine, right? You're sitting back. And I don't have to manage the expenses. And I know I'm going to receive X amount of dollars in rents and zero uh, expenses. So it's a really beautiful thing. And, and we tend to hold for, you know, four or five years or so. So there's a lot of lease term left there when we sell. So you can imagine 10, 15 years left on this triple net lease asset. There's tons of portfolios and REITs, institutional money who have these you know, triple net portfolios in a vast fund. And they say, we're well, maybe an industrial portfolio. It's a perfect uh, asset. They'll roll it up. You know, usually actually they're looking for two or three of these. They want to roll them all up into this portfolio. So you can imagine okay. there's a lot of value there left when you exit. Excellent. Excellent. So I love the concept that there's no expense. I really love that. I love the concept that it's stable and you're a single tenant and you really have it there. You don't have to find a tenant because when you do a sale, lease back is instantaneously. So it's no, you don't know, find somewhere where you have a gap and you have no rent. Yeah. And these tenants are in place with a lot of, I mean, you mentioned this, but they have a ton of investment into the property usually. So these, these people, I mean, even if they had the option to leave in five years, there's, there's a, they're heavily disincentivized to find a new place. And that's why they're signing a long-term lease. They're saying, look, we have millions of dollars invested into the operation that we have here, right? Whether it's, you know, equipment that's hard to move you know, plumbing, air and uh, water, whatever it is, um, all these pieces, you know, maybe they have, you know, certain waste systems that are compliant with um, local governments to make sure that, you know, it's a clean operation. It depends on the industry there. And so we're talking about a lot of manufacturers, uh, food processors, food producers, um, all these folks that are, you know, and you've kind of talked about location, but, you know, these types of tenants, they don't operate on the coast, right? They want a lower cost of overhead, lower cost of wages, so they generally operate in you know, Texas, the Midwest, the Southeast, um, 
these are not generally on Main Street in primary markets, right? They're not going to be in San Francisco. They're going to go find themselves a place where, hey, we have a labor pool here. And, you know, whether they need skilled or unskilled or a mixture there, you know, the, the average wages are lower and they still are able to support a household. But, you know, we're going to send product out, let's just say, across the country or maybe even globally then we don't need to be set up in Miami. You know, we can be somewhere that's a little bit more tertiary and we're okay with that too. As real estate investors, you go, hey, if it's tertiary, that might be bad news for a multifamily asset, right? And you go, well, it's not a lot of population here. You know, how am I going to make sure I keep those units uh, rented out? For us, we don't have that as much. We go, look, we have a long-term commitment and the risk is all in this tenant. So the, we have the commitment here, but what if they go belly up, right? That's the concern there. And that's where we spend a ton of due diligence. We have a credit team as part of our firm. You know, they're all in-house. And so we go, you know, weeks, if not months, uh, working with this tenant to untangle, you know, financials, find out, um, you know, who the team is, the management team, you know, find out what the terms of their debt is. Maybe there's a private equity firm that backs them. Who are they? You know, it's really understanding every part of this company. I always say we we kind of act a lot like a private equity group because we spend so much time focused on the business because that's where the risk is. Right. So you do almost like a M&A sort of due diligence in depth about everything from A to Z, from legal risk, accounting, tax, every single thing you could think of, operations, business, who's the contracts to get, who's a, what's the pipeline and all this stuff like that. A hundred percent. But it's a little bit different. And here's the difference. You're a landlord. Do you need them to you know, grow by 3x revenues? No, no, I need them to pay rent. That's my objective here. So um, so they could maintain flat revenues for across five years. Does that bother us? No, that's great. You know, we came into a deal with a tenant who's already profitable and able to pay rent without a problem. So as an, you know, if you're a PE group and you're investing in this company, you need them to grow. You're looking for that opportunity. For us, we don't need that. We're looking for stability. However, if they do have that growth, if these guys do three or four X their revenue over that period of time, what happens is that that uh, value of the asset is really centered around the security of this tenant. So if you have 15 years left on the lease, you know, but hey, this is a company that's brand new. They started five years ago. There's there's a lot of risk there. And so you're not going to get, you know, that's going to trade at, you know, an eight, nine, 10% cap rate. Uh, but if you have just on the, on the other end of the spectrum, like a Home Depot tenant, and they have a corporate guarantee on that lease, that's almost surefire. I mean, it doesn't mean there's no risk, but you feel pretty good about Home Depot not being able to pay their, their rent, right? So in that case, you might see a cap rate down around 4%. So it just really depends on the risk of this tenant. So what I'm getting to is if this tenant who, maybe they're middle market, and that's what we focus on, right? Private credit tenants, you know, maybe they're doing two, three, 400 million in revenue, you know, but not the size of Home Depot or Amazon. So middle market, but they they grow in size by three or four X. You better believe that there are much more strong tenants backing that lease now. And the value of the asset just came up. So something to think about. And if you see, you know, some real growth potential there, hey, you know, are going to see some of that benefit, even from a real estate landlord um, side. Yeah, because I think if you sell it in year five, they're going to see a, a good asset, a good value. So that's what they'll, they're more likely to, to buy it at a higher price, most likely. Yeah, exactly. Great. So what is typical for a passive investor? Is it a five-year hold generally? And then what it, you pay monthly, right? Is that correct? You pay monthly distribution? 
Yeah, we've done monthly distributions for a while. It's, it's uh, nice. We have a very predictable rent and a very predictable net operating income from month to month. So it allows us to do monthly um, distributions. It's you know not hard to do that math um, and, and send it out monthly. Um, but yeah, whole period, it's really case by case. You know, we've had anything from one to two years on something that may, you know, we may be buying into quite a bit of equity and value from day one um, to something that we go, look, you know, this is a great stable tenant. There's great cash flow here, but we're not really going to see those returns we want unless we kind of hold this thing for about five to seven years. So that's about the long end of this thing. So it's case by case. Um, it really depends. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, even if you're holding that long period of time, we have a really high degree of certainty around the cash flow. So that piece is nice. And, um, you know, if you're four or five years in and um, we don't know what the market will look like then, and maybe interest rates uh, spike for a year or two, if something like that happens, we're in a great position to hold, right? I got plenty of lease term left. We're probably going to do that. We're just going to continue to hold and enjoy that cash flow. Um, so yeah, it all depends. And, and we've, you know, we've certainly exited deals very early just because, you know, like we've seen in the last 12, 18 months, everywhere in real estate, prices going up and some unsolicited offers coming in. You go, hey, you know, we're, <laughs> why would you ignore a great offer like that? And, you know, yes, we're investors yes. here. We're trying to sell high. So, um, yes, yes. No, that, make, that makes, makes perfect sense. So what, what would you say um, in your in this journey um, was your best experience in the commercial real estate? My best experience? Um, shoot, that's a, that's a great question. I, I mean, I love every time we, you know, just through the process of a deal, and I'll just kind of dissect, you know, an average deal. But, you know, having your your offer um, accepted when there's, you know, when you get that signed LOI back from a seller, I mean, that that's great because a lot of times there's competition for these properties. So, mm-hmm. you you know, we're always trying to tell a seller, hey, you know, we're a reliable operator with a lot of experience doing sale leasebacks. And we have, um, you know, we've worked with tenants that are very, large and sophisticated and um, we have this experience and and certainty of closing you know if we can find a price that works for all of us you know we can you know all but guarantee a close because this is something we've done before so you know when you get that uh that offer you go this is great i get excited you know you're running forward with your due diligence and starting to put piece together the lending and the equity and all these pieces and of course, closing. So yeah, I know you were looking for one exact experience um, off the top of my head. I don't think I have one uh, outside of maybe I mentioned when I first sold uh, the first property and you realize, wow, look at the power of real estate. Look at the power of you know appreciation alongside my own hands that I put into the work in the house. And you see the numbers that come out of that kind of blew my mind, to be honest. I mean, that, I, I think that was probably it because that sparked the um the interest because i realized what was possible mm-hmm. and um when all of a sudden that you know that money hits your bank account and you go I, I can't believe this you know this yes. was uh, a few years and sure i know i improved the property and i know the market came up but it's uh it's pretty wild what a very small amount of money down relatively um tied up into a property um can do using leverage and appreciation and value add and all those pieces i mean it's, it's exciting yeah, that's great. I, I I love it because what happens is I do multifamily and self storage, and yours is a very niche asset class, which not people know about in terms of in terms of you know how do you invest, how do you get a sale lease back tenant, what how do you evaluate a good a good tenant and everything else. No one really knows that, and I guess the key is your credit worthiness of the of the of the single tenant. The key is the terms. The key is the I guess the price negotiation. How much is it worth? 
those are part of the keys. And that's very, I think, and coming home, no, it's from multifamily is very different. It's a very different kind of, uh, you know, criteria sets and how you do this. So it's a very interesting asset class. And I love it because you get great returns on investors and this consistency. And this is very unique because when you look at this asset class, not many people in the space I know are doing this kind of kind of asset class because it's very difficult in a way because you need a, you need a really strong team to understand how, what you do in this space, you know? Yeah, it's an institutional world that we're in. Um, I call it the, the institutional sandbox, right? So mm-hmm. when we put an offer in, um, I, you know, almost every time the, the competing offers are coming, are coming in are publicly traded REITs. I mean, these guys... They have, you know, large staff, um, you know, 150 person shops. Uh, they have the credit analysts, you know, they've, they've been doing this for a long time. Um, and so we really have learned from them. You know, we, uh, you know, read their 10 Ks that, you know, that come out, these are publicly traded. They, they share a lot of information. You can learn a lot from them. And we have, you know, the store capitals of the world, Angela Gordon, Barit, Stag Industrial. These are some of these large shops and, and they're very good. And so you learn from the greats, um, you, and then you realize what they're doing. And, and frankly, we said, Hey, how do we, um, get this kind of institutional, um, institutional credit analysis? And, you know, everyone in real estate will tell you, Hey, you got to have a good team. Well, we just hired credit analysts that we, we really like, and we brought them in from these publicly traded REITs. So we, we went over to their firms and approached some folks and we got them over here and built out our own team because we realized that's the only way to have um, an edge and really um, get the, the most complete understanding of this tenant because, um, you know, there's a lot of pieces to these. There's a lot of complexities, different stakeholders, different uh, parent companies and um, ownership structures. So at the end of the day, you have to do a lot of work there, but you can sleep well at night because you really understand this tenant. You know, you don't feel like, well, uh, what don't I know, right? We know everything. We've really just completely untangled the entire and, and painted the whole picture here. And so we, we kind of communicate that through a really thorough credit memo with our, the banks we work with, our investors we work with. You know, we want to show them, hey, here's everything we've learned. And if you can feel as comfortable as we do, then, then you're probably going to like this deal and want to partner with us on this. So it's, that's, uh, that's how we sleep well at night and how we compete with these large institutions and, and probably why you haven't seen these before um, or heard of someone doing this because uh, it's an institutional world um, that you can get exposure through uh, from a publicly traded REIT. But you probably know, just like a lot of folks, what kind of returns you get from those shares, right? It's going to be, you know, four, four and a half percent yield. And, you know, they offer liquidity, they offer diversification, but, you know, it's, it's very low yield. And, you know, these days what we're seeing inflation rates year over year at like 5.6. So, I mean, you're not even keeping up with that at this point. So it's not enough. Um, So we have a really direct model. We don't run a fund. Our investors enjoy that kind of efficiency of capital. Hey, here's a deal. Boom. This money goes straight into the equity. We close and we're cash flowing from day one. Yeah. So you do a single asset versus a blind fund pool, basically. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Okay. Which I think a lot like my investors are like that too, because they can see it, they can feel it, they're comfortable with it, then they can invest in it. Because if you do it's a blind fund pool, you don't know what's the next next item. So it's kind of hard to no. you know. No. And and as they say, for every you know fund, for every dozen properties, there's uh, always one one turd in the bunch. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, a, so you yeah. 
uh, phrase someone told me once I thought it was hilarious, but it's, it's true. There's, um, there's a, and that's just because it doesn't mean someone's, uh, doesn't have integrity, but there's a pressure for someone with that fund to deploy capital. And the longer they're not deploying capital, uh, the, the longer that you, you're not achieving those cash flow targets that you're looking for. So yeah, yeah there's, there's some, some, um, uh, you know, countering counteractive, uh, forces there, you know, and just, yeah. We don't want to put ourselves in that position, and we're fortunate enough to have a really great, supportive investor group who will come on in pretty short notice and say, "Okay, you're in contract. We're ready to jump in and tell us where, you know, where and when to send the money." And this is a great deal. Let's uh, let's partner on this. Awesome, awesome, great, great. Yeah, I'd love to see some of your deals. I said, "Earns in your space," and uh, I like the consistency of cash flow. That's why I, I like it much better. It's in a sense better than multifamily because I know that you have no expenses. <laughs> I mean, that's the that's the biggest. That's the biggest thing I think I see takeaways. You have no expense. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, what would you say? Name one habit that led to your continued growth and success, um, Drew. Um, I'd say, really, it's it's um, how do you start your day? I know this is kind of beaten to death by you know self help books and everything else, but um, you know, me personally, I mean, I find myself just being a, a three times as productive if I can get up a little earlier and, and bust out a quick workout, right? Do something like that, get blood flow into your brain. And, and, uh, by the time you get to work, you're, you're running. So, um, it's something that I think we all struggle with, or I, some people don't, right. I, I certainly go through phases of that, but I find that, um, you know, when I really, get into that habit and stay in that habit. It's something that you, you go, wow, I feel unstoppable, right? You throw anything you got at me, I feel like I can tackle it. Great, great. And what is the one way you like to give back to your community um, that, that you, that you, you success, you know? I like to help younger folks. Um, you know, I, I, I've been talking with a guy recently I met um, at a, a bigger pockets convention. He's a student at uh, University of Tennessee in Chattanooga, Chattanooga and he's, He's excited about real estate and I feed off of people's energy. And when someone has that energy and enthusiasm, you know, and wants to learn, I feel like I'll meet you there. I'll meet you halfway, you know, anything you bring that energy. I like to kind of help them sometimes just, you know, think through ideas in their head. What might be good? Just talk about options, anything I can do to kind of help keep them energized and sort of show them different pathways. So I get a lot of, um, you know, I would, I would love to have, you know, that mentor role in someone's life someday. And and a lot of these are just quick conversations, but you know, one day I hope to get to a point where I can really make a difference in someone's career in their life and mentor them. So that's, uh, that's what I like. Yeah. I think at some point in evolution of life, when you get more and more experience, you'll be some point being a mentor, right? When I get more and more, like I'm like a mentor and you always help other people to give back. And that's a great thing in life where, it's kind of like your bigger brother, right? Your big brother does well, and you learn from him, and he teaches you. So it's sort of that kind of family mentality. Well, that's wonderful, Drew. Um, so, what uh, in 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 closing? What? How will people reach out to you? Uh, do you want to talk about your deal, your your company, or your investments? What's the best way to reach out to you? Yeah, they can email me directly, uh, Drew D R E W at magcp.com, or they can go to our website. We have a you know a, a quick little you know registration spot where you can kind of let us know that you're you're interested in talking and we'll usually reach out shortly after that's magcp.com is the website um so either of those is fine i mean i'm i'm always available i'm chatting with investors and banks and brokers uh sometimes it feels like seven days a week because we enjoy it you know it's um so if someone wants to talk and just to kind of learn about it some more uh that's fine you know i'd love to discuss it 
Okay, great, wonderful. Thank you very much for coming to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. For more information, you can find us online at www.graystonecapgroup.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. See you again next time.